The ruling on the field stands. We deliver jerseys, funny foam fingers, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. This is Bless You Boys Podcast 123, recorded August 8th, 2014. What happened to the offense? With special guest, Neil Weinberg. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. You Boys podcast for the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com. SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog covers the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball and whatever else is on our minds when it comes to baseball or uh, life in the west side of the state where my co-host is. Uh, I'd like to call him the king of the west side and that would be Mr. Hookslide. Hookslide, how's things? Uh, Pretty status quo at the moment. Uh, I'll feel a lot better once this uh, Tigers offense starts to hit. Again. Oh my God, it's been awful. <laughs> yes, yes, it just ruins everything. I mean, the bed, the bread that I'm baking, you know, mm-hmm. comes up wrong, and the toast gets burned, and <laughs> cereal gets soggy. So it just it, you know, it just impacts every area of life. Yes. And so. then we get yelled at as well on the site because you know it's <laughs> so, always take out your anger on the messenger. So it's it's all my fault. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, as usual, get the. Uh, we're going to have, I actually say as usual, but we're, as we're now having guests on the show, we have a very special one for you this week. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, just a couple things about the podcast where we get talking about advanced metrics. So, how's that for a segue? Uh, you can uh, email us with thoughts and questions at bybpodcast at gmail.com, bybtigers at gmail.com. Of course, we're always on the Twitter at Bless You Boys, and we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash byb.tigers, or of course, either on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Bless You Boys, then click like, follow, whatever it takes, subscribe to us, and you'll find everything you need to know about the site, about the latest posts, and during games, a lot of commentary as well. All right, Hookslide, I know you did a lot of work this week. You've gotten some good guests lined up, and we have a special one today, so I'll, I'll let you get the introduction out of the way. I get to do the introductions? Yes, please do. All right. So we want to talk about some uh, advanced stats and metrics today. And uh, Bill James was not uh, available because <laughs> he's just, like, super, super busy. So we actually went one better than Bill James and got uh, uh, Neil Weinberg from uh, New English D. How are you doing, Neil? I'm good. How are you guys doing? The hell we're... Looking forward to this uh, this segment for sure. Yeah, and we're also hoping that maybe you'll have an explanation as to why the Tigers have completely stopped hitting and have everybody in a panic. <laughs> I'll do my best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and no pressure or anything, but the Tigers do actually listen to this podcast, so they'll be taking everything you say with you know, great, great weight and uh, putting into practice everything you suggest. So. Good luck, man. <laughs> okay, I'll, do, I'll try. All right, and if, in case you're not familiar uh, with Neil, he, as I was teasing him before the start of the podcast, he writes for about 30 different 
30 different websites, but seriously, if you want to get all things Neil, go to New English Dave. That's kind of his tiger-specific blog. Uh, and also, he is the site educator at Fangrass, where, well, he educates people on advanced metrics and looking a little deeper into the numbers of baseball. Uh, and also, Neil's on Twitter, at NeilWeinberg44, and you'll find all the links to all the sites he writes for, such as uh, uh, Tigstown, Beyond the Box Score, Hardball Times, and Gammons Daily, amongst others. All right, uh, first off, Neil, let's, we want to lay a little groundwork for the listeners, because uh, I know lots of us, I know me, for example, I'm still trying to get my head fully around the sabermetrics and a little deeper into it. We all kind of grow up with batting average, home run, RBIs, wins, that sort of thing as our barometer for how players are doing. So how did you stumble upon advanced metrics and, uh, you know, just kind of give us an idea as to, you know, like for myself, it was Bill James was kind of my gateway. You know, what was your gateway into uh, sabermetrics? Yeah, so it all kind of started, I mean, I remember going back, you know, when I was a, a pretty little kid, uh, certainly watching the game, and, you know, you know the big stats, RBI and win, all those kind of things, and so you, you think of those as the really important ones, but I would mm-hmm. notice as I was watching the game and watching with my father and talking about it, you know, we would point out, like, hey, it doesn't make a lot of sense, like, this guy pitched really well, mm-hmm. but he loses the win, and the thing that probably really set me off the most is when a closer blows a save, mm-hmm and then their team scores the next half inning and they get the win. And then I I started to think about, like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But this is back in, you know, the early 2000s that I'm probably, Mm -hmm. like, really becoming aware of this. And Mm -hmm. so it's well before the Internet had really been populated with all kinds of really accessible information. And so I didn't really have a great grasp of, like, anything out there being better. I understood that, like, we were missing part of the game based mm-hmm. on the stats that we had available. But so then as time goes on, I remember, like, my dad read about uh, Vorp, which was Value the Blood mm-hmm. Replacement Player, mm-hmm. uh, from, I think it was Baseball Perspectives that had put it out or whatever at the time. And I remember thinking, about, like, that's a cool way to measure it. But, again, there's not a whole lot of information out there, not the way it is now. And so, like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then, you know, maybe a couple of years later, probably in the in the mid-2000s, late-2000s, I started to be aware of, you know, what baseball reference was putting out there. And as fan graphs rose at the end of that decade, just a little bit aware of it. And probably, like, maybe four or five years ago now, when I got to the point where it was, like, I, there's obviously – not enough out there, you know, at ESPN or MLB.com offering you the right kind of stats. And then really, it's like, okay, there are these few places where it exists, and then got really into it at that point. So it was really just kind of a slow evolution. I was always knew that batting average was lying to me, um, mm-hmm. but I never really knew what I could find that would tell me the truth until a few years ago when I got really into it, and then I've sort of uh, made it a bit of a hobby and a uh, uh, half-career to educate people so that they don't have to go searching and wandering through the desert looking for, for weighted on base average. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deviate from the script mm-hmm. already. But <laughs> I know we, we had kind of a, a set of outlines, but you brought up the uh, the whole issue of the, the pitcher win and the, the reliever coming in and... Uh, you know, blowing a save but still getting a win, and that's kind of been one of the big, you know, uh, uh, standing stones, if you will. That, you know, kill the win and how how useless the win stat is. Uh, but just this little theory that I've been kicking around for the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to kind of get your hot take, so to speak, on it. Which is to say, does does pitcher wins actually tend to matter once you reach a certain threshold? Which is to say, you know, if you look at uh, Justin Verlander, he's ten and ten this year. That probably doesn't matter. But when you get to someone like Danny McLean who goes, you know, he gets 30, racks up 31 wins and less than 10 losses in a season, 
does that start to correlate better with, with what kind of a pitcher he really is? Well, so the thing about wins is that it's not so much that they're totally without meaning. It's that they're not going to tell you anything more than you can get from a better statistic. So it's pretty hard to go 24-5 and five like Verlander did a couple of years ago without being, you know, pretty good. Um, right. mm-hmm. But the key here is when you're comparing two players of similar performance or similar win totals. So two guys with 15 wins could have a dramatically different actual season than than each other. Or somebody with 20 wins and somebody with 12 wins might end up having, you know, pretty reasonable pretty reasonably similar seasons uh, when you look at the numbers. So, uh, Denny McLean in, in 1966, he went 20 and 14. So that's like, you know, you look at the say he, he lost a few more games than you might expect, than you might want to hear from a 20-game winner, but he won 20 games through 260 innings, you know, no no huge thing. Um, and he was 13% worse than league average at preserving runs. So it's pretty clear that you can get to a pretty big win total without being great. Um Usually, if you have a big win total, you're going to be great. So there's nobody who has 300 wins who was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really the issue. The matter is that there are plenty of people who have 210 wins who were better. So it's a really imprecise measure, and there's really no value to it when we have so many other things that could tell you uh, the kind of information that you want wins to tell you. That's good. good. Yeah. I like it. Well, just yeah, just to kind of continue on the wins thing, since uh, it's kind of a bone of contention, for example, with uh, one of the more vocal um purveyors in sabermetrics and brian kenny do you agree with his kill the win campaign oh yeah i was one of the, i was one of the original like foot soldiers in that <laughs> campaign last year yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on new english d like in this in the stats section mm-hmm. about i just pulled up a bunch just pulled up a bunch of data on wins uh the worst 20 win seasons the best seasons where guys won like seven games uh, I, one of my favorite posts I ever did uh, was comparing Barry Zito and Cliff Lee's 2012 season, mm-hmm. where Zito wins more games, and there, you can't find one stat where Zito is a better pitcher than Cliff Lee. And at the end, I even put in that like Cliff Lee was also also a better hitter, so you can't even say like, oh, you know, the pitchers they helped him cause. <laughs> There's nothing, but he wins more games. There's just and so it's. It's not very useful. If you want to look at two pitchers and say, oh, this guy has 13 wins, this guy has nine wins, that tells you. Nothing of real substance, mm. well, and so everything, yeah, then. yeah. A guy, who, a guy who goes five and twenty every year of his career probably isn't very good. A guy who goes twenty and five every year is probably pretty good, but you never want to know if Kevin Correa is better than Max Scherzer. You already know that. You don't mm-hmm. need wins to tell you that. Um, and when you want to know if Max Scherzer is better than you, Darvish, wins are definitely not going to tell you that. Yeah, no question about that. Obviously, the same would go for saves and things of that sort. Uh, well, just kind of stay on the topic of pitching since we've kind of segued in that. I wanted to bring up the post you recently wrote. I know um, our compadre at uh, Bless You Boys, Patrick, was uh, enjoyed it and kind of uh, promoted a little bit. And that was your plan for the Tigers' postseason rotation, where essentially you said, let's just put everyone in the bullpen. Uh, for example, you have on game one, David Price faces 18 hitters, Verlander comes in, faces nine, and then you go with the bullpen, and it kind of proceeds like that. Game two will be Serzer, Porcello, and then the bullpen. Uh, I really found an interesting take that it makes a lot of sense because it allows you to maximize your good pitchers, but uh, I, I guess the question is, will there ever be a manager or someone in baseball who will be Gutty enough to go so outside the box like that. 
Yeah, so I think I don't think we're there just yet, but I mm-hmm. think actually I actually don't like the the one game playoff wild card game, but I oh, think yeah. this is going to be where it actually shows up and happens because mm-hmm. you're going to have you have to win this one game, and let's say for example that a team clinches two days early, so they don't have to burn their starters. If the Mariners are in that game, mm-hmm. Felix is obviously going to start, but the first guy out of the bullpen has got to be Iwakuma. You know, you've yeah. got to go to your best guy, and the same is going to be true. The Angels, if it's going to be you know Garrett Richards and you know Weaver or Wilson or whomever, you're going to go to your best guys if it's a winner take all game. And I think this is going to sort of open the door for uh, teams to start to realize that you can do this. So mm-hmm. last year the Tigers used Shozer and relief for a couple of innings. Um, You know, managers have shown their willingness to do this in, you know, one game at a time or in a do-or-die game. But it makes a lot of sense in the long run. These guys are going to throw on the side anyway in between Mm -hmm. starts. You might as well get those batters, you know, in the real games, and especially for a team like the Tigers, who does not have the kind of bullpen that, you know, it's not Koji Uehara coming out and throwing, you know, six outs. It's, you know, Joe Nathan, and that's Mm -hmm. not the most encouraging thing in the world. Uh, so you, I think there's, it's, I think it's slowly going to seep into the game. You would never do this in a regular season. It's right. too much of a, it's too much of a, you know, repeated stress. But if you're down to it, and you know, we've got seven games left in the season. We've got 15 games left in the season, maybe. Uh, let's use our pitchers, you know, so we're getting the most out of these starters. And and the real, you know, crux of it is pitchers get worse the more times they see uh, a lineup during a game. Not even because of fatigue, but because of familiarity. And this is like a, a tried and true, you know, axiom. Mm-hmm. So let's get, you know, you, David Price to go through the order two times, and then let's start over with mm-hmm. Verlander and let him face the order one time. That's going to be much more effective than letting your starter go the distance and then going to the regular bullpen and then having a guy come back on full rest. It's uh, you know it's a bold strategy. I don't expect them to you know do it this year, mm-hmm. but I think it's the kind of thing that you could see happening when you get to tournament baseball, when you get to the playoffs, you know, down the road ten years from now. Yeah, it's a cool thought experiment, and hopefully, you know, uh, people, uh, youngsters or you know teenagers who are reading your stuff today may grow into the next. Uh, Brad Osmus, who may actually buy into some of this stuff mm-hmm. and, and start implementing it. Because I know a lot of fans are actually kind of disappointed in Brad Osmus, considering that uh, during obviously during the press conference, you, you know, all you're trying to do is win it, as they say. <laughs> and he said a few things that led people to think, oh, we have, we've got another Joe Madden on our hands who might look outside the box when it comes to the numbers, you know, especially they hired a defensive coordinator and things like that. But so far this season, uh, Neil, Brad Osmus really looks looks like another manager who goes strictly by the book. Uh, play, you know, the I guess I like to call it the managerial bible that says you're at this certain point in the game. I don't care what's going on. This is what you must do. So, are you kind of disappointed in for like a younger manager like Brad Osmus isn't? Applying these principles more. Yeah, definitely, and I think Osmus. It was I was really encouraged by one by hiring Mm -hmm. a defensive coordinator, and also by you know Matt Martin came highly Mm -hmm. recommended from a lot of people that I respect. And then you think, okay, he's going to institute you know pretty significant defensive shifts. This is the kind of Mm -hmm. thing that you want to see from like a new age manager. Doesn't have to be like you know a guy with a a calculator in the dugout, but just somebody Mm -hmm. who understands the concepts and wants to apply them in in the game. And that he has pretty much done nothing else to mm. indicate that he buys into any of it, which was kind of interesting because in the first month of the season when they were just like going crazy on yeah. the entire league, he never he didn't bunt or w- intentionally walk anybody. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we've got something here. Yeah. And then the Tigers struggled for a second, 
and then it just all went downhill. There are just so many things that he's doing or allowing to happen that are just really counterproductive to what we know is going to be effective in a manager. And I know that, like, change, I don't expect him to, like, all of a sudden walk in and change the culture that's been in, in baseball right. for 100 years. He doesn't need to come in and use Joe Nathan in the fifth inning of a game in April or something like that. That's, I mean, I would do that, but mm-hmm. I understand it's, you know, progress is slower than that. But the way, how, cl- you know, closely he's been tied to, like, the standard forever practice of managers. I don't remember who I had the conversation with, but we started nicknaming him Flowchart. <laughs> for the way you fed decisions, because it's yeah, okay. If, if we have a lead in the eighth inning of three or four runs or fewer, Jabba Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Any other situation, not Jabba Chamberlain. Yeah. If it's uh, a safe situation, uh, Joe Nathan. If it's not a safe situation, no Joe Nathan. If it's uh, we only use Joaquin Soria in the seventh inning, like it's really routine and really rote, and it's not the way you want to see it. It's one thing to have you know be. Guys should have defined roles if they feel more comfortable and mm-hmm. also believes that they're more comfortable. I can understand that. You want guys to be, you know, feel like they're, you know, safe and protected and everything like that. But when you're going in, like, it's the 10th inning of a game, you don't need to be saving your closer and throwing out, like, a middle reliever who really yeah. should be in AAA. Like, there's an unwillingness to, to adapt even a little bit that's frightening, especially from a guy who, again, like you said at the press conference, seemed... You know, like, he was forward-thinking. He didn't have to be revolutionary, but just a little bit forward-thinking. He's got an Ivy League degree. He's one of the mm-hmm. few college-educated guys who played ball. It's pretty surprising how, like, uh, you know, standard and by the book he's been. Yeah, go ahead, Oakley. I'm sorry. The term that we used last week on the podcast or that I used was, was unimaginative. Yeah. I, he does not uh, display the, the imagination, I think, to kind of think outside the box and, and get away from the, the numbers to pitchers' labels. No, you know, inning number seven means Soria, inning number eight means Chamberlain. But, uh, you know, it's like I love what you said earlier that, you know, when, when the rubber meets the road, it's it's the uh, the old saying that there, there are no atheists in the foxholes. <laughs> I think I think the baseball corollary is that, you know, there, there are no standard reliever roles in the playoffs. Yeah. When it really, really matters, you know, the Tigers are, are down to their elimination game last year in game four against Oakland. He goes for his best pitcher, even though that's Max Scherzer, even the guy just threw a couple games ago. You go with your best pitcher. But, you know, it's funny that they don't follow that that formula, you know, during the rest of the playoffs or during the rest of the season. Yeah, well, and the one thing, I, I can't even believe I forgot to mention this. The thing that drives me crazy um, about Osmus more than anything, really, is that he doesn't seem to plan ahead for mm-hmm. his mistake to go wrong, his yeah. choice to go wrong. So he pulls out, he, you know, the other day he brought in Blaine Hardy, uh, I think, you know, two days ago. I don't know when people are listening to this, but on Wednesday, he brought in Blaine Hardy, and it did not go well, and he didn't have anybody else even warming yes. up for the possibility mm-hmm. that it was going to go wrong. It's not like it's the ninth inning and it's Nathan's our best guy, and if he blows it, he blows it. Like, this is the ninth inning. We're trailing. We need to hold a lead. Okay, a lefty makes sense here, but if he doesn't get the first two guys out, we're going to get to a slew of righties, and he was not prepared for it. And his answer was, well, Blaine Hardy, I think he can get righties out. Well, and the answer was you weren't prepared for him not to get lefties out. You didn't sort of think through what might happen there. Uh, and that's a frustrating thing to watch as, as a mm-hmm. as a fan, especially because if you know it's one thing the manager makes a different call than you would have, but clearly there's a point at which he is no longer capable of being successful in this game, and you have to get him out of there. Yeah. And Osmus is is rarely ready to do that, um, and oh. and it's 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 frustrating uh, when you know you've got a guy who you think is going to be like change you know changing of the guard, and he's actually I think less 
less progressive than Leland was, which is which is kind <laughs> of a, a crazy a crazy thing to say out loud. So but, I think that for the first time in, in Bless Your Boys podcast history, we we have reached the point where we're ready to say fire Osmus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, manager. Uh, well, I wouldn't go that far, but I would just say we're seeing a lot of rookie mistakes from a rookie manager. Would you agree with that, Neil? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. what's well, interesting, I'm surprised he's got a very experienced coaching staff. And mm-hmm. so it's I don't know if they're really deferring to him, if he's really confident about these choices, if he's not listening to them. You know, I have no I have no real idea what is going on in the dugout, but it's Definitely not the way I expected it to go, mm. and that's just pulling aside any, like, I had a hope of how it would go, but I had a realistic expectation, too, and it's been short of that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, comp- yeah. We, I think we're both, or all three in complete agreement when it comes to that, right. at the very least. All right, so, uh, I need to steer us back on track here. Yeah, so. please, yeah that, but that, <laughs> that's typical of us, too, as well, so, but go we, ahead and hook we, we did have kind of an outline of topics we wanted to talk about, and we actually haven't hit on, like, any of them yet, so, which is awesome. <laughs> you introduced I me, I think that yeah. worked. Yeah, <laughs> it, it worked. So, I warned you about this beforehand, but this is kind of how we roll, and it's, it's, it's all in good fun, and we have a good time, but... Uh, Neil, you have been on the uh, Rick Porcello bandwagon. You have been driving that bandwagon, as you've said on Twitter, for, for many, many years now. Um, you, you finally acquiesced to let me ride shotgun, <laughs> just because I, I, I promoted Porcello so hard last year over and against Verlander and took so much heat for doing so. But um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Rick Porcello. And in conjunction with uh, some of these advanced uh, metrics that we wanted to talk about, like FIP versus ERA, um, K per nine versus uh, strikeout percentage, what was it in Porcello's advanced stats that you saw years ago that led you to think this guy is going to be huge in years to come? Well, there's a couple different things. First of all, Porcello's a guy who gets a huge number of ground balls. Even this year in his lowest ground ball season, he's above average. Um, and ground balls don't turn into extra base hits nearly as often as fly balls. And so that's one thing you can look at and say, okay, this is a guy who's not going to give up, you know, doubles and triples and home runs as much. You know, when he gives up hits, he's going to be up, gives up singles. And that's a better thing to do, obviously. He also doesn't put a lot of guys on base with the free pass and walks. You know, he's got one of the lowest walk rates in baseball. He's been routine, you know, even in his rookie season, it was, you know, kind of average And now it's been much better than average ever since. So you've got a guy who's not putting guys on base, uh, you know, by the free pass. He's not allowing him hit for extra bases. You know, that's kind of a thing I look for in a pitcher. If I think a guy who can be, you know, at least pretty good. And then you look at it and say, he's been continuously making gains in his strike. Right. He's never going to be, you know, a you Darvish kind of strikeout guy, but he's making progress. He's adding pitches. He's being more effective. Those are kind of the, the underlying things you look for. Batter, pitchers who strike guys out at a decent clip, don't walk a lot of guys, don't give up home runs, that, you know, they're going to be the guys who are going to be more successful long term. Uh, and the key for Porcello was always the problem. You know, he was he was would give up a lot of hits. You know, he'd have these games where he would give up nine singles. He wouldn't walk anybody. He'd strike out five guys. He'd give up nine singles, uh, and five of them would be in the same inning, and he'd give up you know four runs. And people would say, oh, it's just kind of an average, just you know, maybe back end starter type guy. Um, but some of that you got to think about is sequencing. If he had given up one single in every inning, he doesn't give up any runs. And so you you recognize that. If a couple of those balls don't go through, or if he times them differently, he's going to be fine. Um, and 
So you look and say the Tigers always had a terrible infield defense behind him, and so if you get even reasonably competent fielders, and you put Suarez and Kinsler out there, you put Cabrera at first base where he belongs, even if Castellanos is struggling at third, you know it's a better infield defense. They're going to be more effective behind him. That's that's a really good thing. Uh, and as soon as that happens, you know his his you know batting average against went down, and and everything starts cleaning up. And and really the thing that is that has drawn me to him, you know, even even more so than this is that he's came to the big leagues so young, and people tend to get this, like, fatigue about players that, like, Porcello was supposed to be a really good prospect, and it's taken him, you know, it took him five years to become, like, a really good pitcher. And people are like, that's for, that's forever. I don't want to wait that long. He was so hyped. We knew about him forever. Um, but he's still, like, young for a starting pitcher, and he's been, this is his sixth season, or, you know, this is his sixth season in the major leagues, and he's having, like, a really good season and everything like that. But he's 25. You know, you have to judge pitchers based on their age. Uh, you know, most guys his age are, you know, in their second year in the big leagues, you know, if they're a good pitcher. You know, he was, do- he was you know, throwing 180 innings when most guys are in A ball. And he's just been learning on the job. So you take and say, okay, 9, 10, 2011, he was, you know, okay, but not great. But these are guys, these are his de- really his development years that you would expect to see him, you know, in the minors. But he's actually doing it in the big leagues. And now... 12, 13, 14 is even stepping, you know, stepping further uh, up, and he's going to be one of the younger pitchers. You know, pitchers really don't become who they're going to be until their late 20s. I tell this to people all the time when I'm in debating Porcello. Mm-hmm. Verlander didn't have his first really good I am Justin Verlander season until he was 26. Porcello's not even there yet. He's not going to be Verlander it was, but he is going to get better in all likelihood based on typical aging curves. Uh, he's the kind of guy who you know you can you could see this coming. This was not surprising if you were looking at the right numbers. But people get caught up in looking at ERA and looking at batting average against and and things like that, uh, and they miss that there's this really strong base of talent underneath. So how how badly did the uh, uh, the defense behind him you know hurt that ERA? And again, we're getting back to the comparison between the ERA stat and the FIP stat. If you could talk a little bit about what kind of goes into FIP and how that factors in defense, you know, with with regard to Porcello. Yeah, definitely. So fielding independent pitching, which is which is FIP, or sometimes we call it FIP, is it takes a guy's strikeouts, walks, and home runs, and puts that into an equation, which is which is really basic. That tells you what his ERA should be if he had league average defense behind him. So it's based on, you know, the long run value of a strikeout and a walk and a home run and, and everything like that. And per inning. And so it, it looks exactly like ERA would look. And so a guy with a three five FIP is as good as you would expect a guy with a three five ERA to be. Um, but, you know, fielding independent pitching, it takes out defense. And the idea here is that pitchers have no control over how good their defense is behind them and they have very little control over just the random luck of a ball, a seeing eye ground ball going through the infield or something like that. And Porcello, he puts a lot of balls on the ground, um, obviously based on his pitching style. And when you do that with a terrible defense behind you, which he had for uh, you know a number of years of his career, uh, you're going to give up more hits than you would expect based on how actually how good you're actually pitching. If you put Andrelton Simmons behind Rick Porcello in 2012 where he had 344 BABIP, he would have a lower BABIP. Uh, he would have a lower number of hits allowed. He would have, therefore have a lower number of runs allowed. You could see that in the field of independent pitching. You could see that that would be the case if he had a better defense behind him. And so the idea is that 
it's not so much that you know pitchers have zero control over whether or not they give up a hit. It's that they have a control over whether or not they give up hard contact and how often they give up that contact. But there's, it's going to fluctuate so much based on factors outside of their control that you want to try and evaluate a pitcher based on a statistic that's telling you something more about them rather than an EOA or, or runs allowed or something like that or hits allowed. Because if a ground ball goes, you know, five feet to Nick Castellanos' left, he's much less likely to pick that up than if you had, you know, somebody like Evan Longoria over there. And, you know, Rick Porcello doesn't decide who plays third base for him. There's nothing he can do about that. Um, and so, and so it, it's, it's often helpful to look at a statistic that tells you a little bit more about what the pitcher's doing just by themselves rather than what's happening all around them. Yeah, and so when you say the FIP or FIP is based on league average defense. Yeah. Um, and, and you look at the past years of Porcello and how, how the ERA is like, you know, higher than his, his FIP for so, for so long. What you're basically saying is the Tigers defense, it's just another indicator that the Tigers defense is below league average for all that time. Yes, exactly. And you can find, you can look that, a great way to look at that is look at just team BABIP allowed. So batting average on balls in play allowed uh, of a team. So when you look at, and you can see that for a lot of years, the Tigers would, you know, league average is about 300. And if you look at it and say the Tigers would be running, you know, 320 BABIPs or something like that. So more often when a ball went into play against the Tigers pitchers, it would go for a hit more than it would for any other team or most other teams. And this is especially true, you know, for a lot of years, if you looked at, like, ground balls, it would be really high, too. Uh, this year now it's fly balls because we have questionable outfield defense uh, in Detroit. But the it'll definitely be a, a very basic indicator of whether or not um, a team's defense is good. Before you even get into more complicated defensive stats, how often do you allow a batted ball to go for a hit? Uh, and the Tigers are always, you know, above average and the same and it really hurt Porcello for a couple of years in the middle of his career in terms of the number of runs he gave up but in how he was actually pitching wasn't terribly different um, than it is now I mean he's gotten better this year certainly um, but his ERA is like you know a run and a half lower than it's ever been um, that's because the defense is performing better behind him and because he's pitching a little bit better very interesting so if, if FIP is one of those you know, deeper level stats that kind of you, you can kind of compare that to ERA and say it's, it's a predictor, you know, of future performance, you know, to say if, if, if Rick Porcello had better defense or any pitcher had better defense, you know, then these numbers might even out a little bit better. Um, why is it that, that a stat like that doesn't necessarily apply to a, a reliever like Joe Nathan? It's not so much that it doesn't apply to a reliever, but the problem with relievers is that they pitch so infrequently. They pitch; they don't pitch very much, and so you need a decent sample size of innings or batters faced to get a really good sense of how well a pitcher is actually performing. So Joe Nathan is going to throw maybe I don't know sixty innings this year, or you know seventy innings this year, or something like that, depending on how well he goes down the stretch. Um, that's not a huge, you know, you're not going to face a ton of batters. You're not going to get a really good idea of how well he's performing. You need, you know, to get BABIP to even out, you need, like, three starting pitching seasons of data to get it to even out. And so strikeouts, walks, and home runs are good, are good indicators for a reliever, but home runs can be a little bit fluky in small samples. If you're only pitching a few innings, you give up three home runs like in one terrible outing, and that's going to torpedo you for a whole season. So it's good to look at FIP compared to, to ERA for a reliever, but pretty much every reliever stat is tough because by the time you get a big enough sample for it to really tell you something about how they're doing, they're probably a different pitcher because relievers are inherently fluky. 
Um, so right. it's 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 right. tough. It's tough to measure wheelie pitchers um, in terms of looking at stats. So you've got to really look. What I tend to do, I mean, you want to look at sort of the basic stats that that everybody would look at. You know, runs allowed and fielding and pinch pitching and stuff like that, strikeouts and everything like that. But I kind of look like to look at you know pitch location and are they inducing swinging strikes? Are they getting guys to swing at pitches outside of the strike zone? Things like that. Um, that's going to usually tell you how good a relief pitcher is, uh, you know, quicker than something else might. But it's really challenging to evaluate relief pitchers on something other than, you know, like how good is their stuff and does it seem to be getting batters out. Uh, because you could look at their, you know, if they face 100 batters, you know, over the course of a couple of months uh, of a season, you know, is that really telling you something about how good they are? Because really what you want to see is see them face a 1,000 batters, and by the time mm-hmm. they face a 1,000 batters, we're talking about being, it's been like four years or something like that for a reliever, and they were a totally different pitcher then. So that's kind right. of Right, and everything's mm-hmm. changed behind them, too. You yeah. know, different uh, outfield, different infield, you know, or whatever. But the case of Joe Nathan, I think, is just, it's very curious to me that, uh, you know, a lot of people will defend his numbers based on, you know, and say the defense behind him has just let him down. You know, but I kind of look at that and say, uh, Rick Porcello can pitch seven innings, and have defense be his, you know, his champion to help him with those numbers, and then it's the same defense behind him when Joe Nathan comes into the game. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of go, well, hold on, it's the same defense. You can't suddenly blame it on the on the defense. But uh, interesting questions, you know, all around there. But Al, I know you are dying to get into the subject of Brian Kenny and Keith Law. Oh, just a little, just because of the well, couple things. Because one, the just the anger that seemed to come out from the uh, advanced metrics crew and the traditional stats crew, uh, which usually tends to be younger uh, online journalists versus older print journalists. Uh, and guys like uh, Keith Law, uh, Brian Kenny, I th- sometimes I think they seem to really delight in kind of an over-the-top, I, I hate to use the term hot take, but it's kind of like that, especially on Twitter, uh, where they, t- I think they really tend to divide people away, you know, kind of scare people from sabermetrics rather than maybe gain converts to the cause. And you know, and I'm sure I, you, I'm sure you have some feelings on this that maybe these guys would get a little more. Uh, well, they might get uh, the the people who aren't really into this if they were, as they say, honey instead of vinegar, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think that's something I try to do is mm-hmm. to make it. You know, inclusive, and that you know yeah. you you've got you've been taught this this thing your whole life about how to evaluate a baseball player, and I'm about to come in and tell you that you're totally mistaken. That's mm-hmm. not, that's a very challenging thing to do, and and the way in which you present this case to somebody is very important in terms of whether or not they're going to be responsive to you. And I think that that. Brian does a better job of that than Keith does. I don't think you know Keith Law is very interested necessarily in changing people's minds about that. Right. I think you know he wants to cover the game he wants to cover, and he enjoys sort of the mm-hmm. snarky hot take aspect of it. That's fine. That's kind of his brand. Um, but when you when you want to educate people, if your goal is to educate people, um, you have to come to them and say and and show them you know th- this there's a better way to do it. Um, look at this information that's out there. Um, you know, sort of break it down for them in in a way that they're going to be receptive to it. I think that's an important way. And so uh, one of the things that I try to do with with my job at Fangraphs is when someone comes with a question or a challenge, like there's no way war makes sense or mm-hmm. you know, FIP is stupid, batters or you know hit pitchers control whether or not they give up hits. Look at this contact, whatever. 
the question is really more like you, you find them, you find somewhere where you they agree with you on the issue. And so I wrote about batting average on balls and play at Fangraphs uh, this week. And basically a lot of people, they don't like to buy into the fact that a hitter who's on this hot streak is just getting lucky. No one no. likes to believe that. And so what I said to them, and so what I said in the post is that you watch this happen every day. You see it happen. You watch a ton of baseball. You're a good baseball fan. Every day you see a guy lose a hit because some defender did something crazy, and you see a guy gain a hit because this ball just squeaks through the infield. And so I put two gifts in the post of Dustin Pedroia playing defense, and there's this ground, this screaming ground ball up the middle. I think J.J. Hardy hits it. Uh, it's from earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. And he makes this preposterous diving play and gets him out by like a half a step. Like, that's good enough for a hit. Um, you know that. You saw that. You've been watching that your whole life. And what I'm going to tell you is that these things don't even out over the course of a season, and especially over the course of a month. You, this is something you already know. I'm just showing you how it sort of fits into the way that I evaluate the game. And so when people challenge, like, war or something like that, wins above mm-hmm. replacement, what I try and say to them is that, no, like, this is just all it does. This is trying to capture the value of a player. You want to capture the value of a player. You try, you're trying to measure it in the number of hits he gets or the number of RBI he has or something like that, or how good he seems to be in big situations. And I'm telling you, what you, we have here is we care about how much he contributes to run scoring, but we have this better way of measuring it than RBI. Come let me show you. And I think that's more effective if that's your goal. Yes. Uh, I don't think everybody has that goal. I think there are some mm-hmm. people who want to be... Uh, you know, inclusive, and and that's that's where I fit in. That's my job. That's that's why you know Fangraphs wanted me to do this. Um, but there's some people who enjoy sort of poking fun at the people who don't know any better or who are afraid to mm-hmm. you know whatever than that. And that's their shtick and that's their game. They're not going to win as many converts, I don't think, as I am. Um, and sometimes it's counterproductive. But uh, you know, if if everybody was really inclusive, I don't think. People would be. I don't think I would be in demand. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not terribly upset about that. I guess. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just to kind of follow up on that, uh, is war the most misunderstood or misused uh, sabermetric stat out there, especially by the mainstream media? Yeah. Well, so I think it's definitely the most misunderstood and misused. So the thing about like, I have never sat down and explained the the concept of wins above replacement to anybody and had them not buy into the idea. Anybody can make a really good case for why war we haven't perfected war, and, and anybody mm-hmm. who's in, involved in it will tell you there are things we could do better if we had better data or we were we had a better way to measure something, like especially how we measure defense is, is something that's constantly evolving, and it's getting right. better, and that's great. But the idea that we should include defense in a me- an overall measure of a player, nobody argues that. Nobody argues mm-hmm. we should throw out base running. Nobody argues that we should, you know, only care about what a, uh, a hitter does, like in certain situations or in, you know, whether or not they get hits rather than walks. You know, everybody buys in the idea. We want to measure a, to- a player's total contribution. Then people get a little bit upset about this concept of replacement player. Mm-hmm. Which is really misunderstood, and I don't I don't want to take ten minutes to to you know dispel the myths, but it's just a baseline. Like we could make yeah. the baseline anything. Like the baseline could be wins below Cabrera, 
and he, everybody would line up in the exact same order. It would be the same mm-hmm. thing. Uh, it's just a comparison, uh, and so people get upset about that. And there's really good evidence for that. Like, replacement player is, like, a real active thing. And and I can go on to that you know, if somebody wants to reach out to me on Twitter or whatever. I'll do that just fine. But also people, you know, they don't like the idea that a, that a player is not as good as they think they are. Right. And so when they see war, so and and you know this is a Tigers podcast. People are going to be really familiar with Trout versus Cabrera over the last couple of years. You know they look at it and say Miguel Cabrera, he is he's so good. We watch him every day. He's clearly one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter in the league. Like we can see that it's clear, and it doesn't really seem like he's costing us that much on defense. Like he's not great, but like I don't. It doesn't seem like we've lost a bunch because of defense. There's no way this this center fielder on this other team can be better. And not to disparage Tigers fans, like this happened would happen with mm-hmm. any two teams. But you want to value the player's total con- contribution, and War does that. It's not going to be perfect, but people ha- make up their minds about how good a p- they think a player is, and if War tells them something different, they think it's War is the problem, rather than wondering if they're the problem. And they might not be the problem. Wars could be wrong, no question about it. But I always t- I tell to people and tell them to, to my students when I'm teaching them, the first thing you should do when you run into a piece of information that contradicts something you think is question whether or not you're wrong. And so, like, John Heyman goes on about on Twitter all the time, like, mm-hmm. this guy has a war value of X, this guy has a war value of Y. Whoa, it's silly. How can that be? Someone explain this to me. I'm like, well, dude, the other guy's like an awesome defender, and the guy you're talking about is 35 with bad knees, and you haven't realized that he's bad at defense. Yeah. Uh, these things matter. Like, y- we just talked, spent like 10 minutes talking about Rick Porcello's def- you know, defense behind him, how important that could be. Porcello would have given up like, I don't know, 40 fewer runs a couple of years ago if he had good defense behind him. That's a massive difference that defense can make in, in terms of preventing runs, and that's something we should care about. And just the We used to measure defense by fielding percentage. Mm-hmm. And the, idea, the idea that you can measure it differently is very foreign, and people have not grasped that, and so it makes war very controversial. Um, but it's, it's getting better. It's seeping in uh, to the coverage. I think people... I think, above all else, people have not learned to speak in the language of runs and wins in in the mainstream. It's something we talk about in kind of the stat circles. Um, You know, most mainstream coverage is, you know, RBI, batting average rate stats, and, like, counting stats. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a value measure that you can be above and below average, and and it's just not – it's a language problem. And it's something that we're getting better at, something I'm trying to work on with everybody. but it's it's the kind of thing that no one no one has ever argued with me about the idea. It's just you know the execution can be better, um, but so could every stat that we've ever had, and no one argues about whether or not batting average is a is a stat that actually measures whether or not you get a hit. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a challenge, but I think it's it's something that we're improving on. All right. Well, uh, Hookslide, anything you want to add before we let Neil go? Because as usual, we're well over. So <laughs> I told you that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean we just had that war discussion. So I'm not sure if uh, for our listeners listening, if we've just made a whole a uh, lot more fans or enemies based on that. Because I know war is one of those. Well, it's aptly named, you know, war. So, uh, but that's that's good stuff, Neil. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as we wrap up, Neil, uh, if, if uh, listeners want to dip their toes into the waters a little deeper 
uh, than just like on base percentage. Uh, where do you think they sh- would be the best place to start learning more about advanced metrics? Yeah, so there's a couple of recommendations I have. First of all, at, you know, at Fangraphs, I'm in charge of the library, which is our glossary. It explains all the stats, and it's it's getting a whole makeover. So there's been you know over the last month or so, I've been been reformatting it and redoing everything. So that's getting really really good. So go to Fangraphs, top right corner. There's a glossary. Click on that. Um, you know, you can actually find a pretty good explanation of stats on Wikipedia uh, if you're just kind of looking for the basics overview. Um, but I think the best advice I can give anybody is go to a website uh, or a blog that uses sabermetrics in their analysis. So whether that's Fangraphs or Beyond the Box Score or a team-oriented site uh, that makes use of sabermetrics, um, you know, like mine or like Tigers website, right? Yeah, like you don't want to advise if you're Tigers fans, obviously. Um, but there, there are others if they're uh, if you're a fan of another team or something like that. Uh, and just look, listen to the way that they write, talk, and write about the team. You know, I never, you know, when I'm writing about the Tigers, never. Me- I haven't mentioned a guy's RBI total mm-hmm. uh, probably in the entire time that I've been writing about you know, the Tigers. And that sort of soaks in. When you, you know, the key thing, I have this belief that if teams started putting on their broadcast, started putting WOBA, weighted on base average, on the screen, just off in the corner, next to all the other stats, don't remove all the other stats, just put that one on also, people get curious and figure it out. If you see people that you are interested in talking about the stat, you're going to sort of pick it up and be interested in it. So the best thing I think you can do is start following people, start uh, you know reading people who are just using this in their everyday language. You don't need to become you know a fancy a fancy stat guy to appreciate a few of the important statistics and, and learn more about it. Uh, the best way is to see it in action. I think uh, it's the way I learned. It's the way I would probably recommend that people pick it up. Well, oh, great. Uh, and, of course, uh, as always, they can find you again on Twitter at NeilWeinberg44 and for all things, at least Tigers-related, at New English D. So, uh, Neil, thanks again, and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast and we'll be able to go a little deeper into Rick Porcello. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Neil. You bet. Well, uh, that was interesting, to say the very least, folks. Like. It's mind-bending, you know. Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you start delving into the world of you know, the advanced metrics, there's just there's so many things you know, to, to look at and to learn. And so it's uh, good to have a guy like Neil on who's been doing this for a while and kind of yeah. you know, give us a bit of an introduction to it. Yeah, and what's interesting when he brought up that you know, it would be nice if uh, they could put these numbers up, you know, even a couple of these numbers up on a screen. It brings up the what we see between the Tigers broadcast on the radio and what we see on television. We yeah. have Dan Dickerson talking, uh, trying to educate listeners into some of the advanced metrics while you have Rod Allen talking about fielding percentage. <laughs> That's right. There's a, there's a huge discrepancy there because, like you said, Dan Dickerson will talk about things like XFIP and yes. uh, win probability added and batted ball average, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's, there, there's definitely a difference, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. We're, we're always promoting Dickerson, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> and what's you know what's interesting though you know like Neil says he never brings up RBI. You'll see stuff like that, of course, on Bless You Boys because we tend to we have to kind of be a uh, we have to appeal to both sides. We try to appeal to the hardcore fan who f- gets into this sort of stuff, but we also have to appeal to the casual fan who enjoys the counting stats. So that's why, you know, like in a recap, we'll mention that Miguel Cabrera is leading the league in RBI or uh, Rick Porcello is up there in, the league, in, in leading the league in wins because there are fans uh, who still – that's really all they want. I mean, they want – they love the game of baseball. They like to watch the game of baseball, and that's pretty much how they want to leave it. So, it, you know, that's why at a site like Bless You Boys, we do our best kind of to – 
to ride the kind of walk a thin line between the two and try to appease both parties. Yeah, I think you have to, too, because, yeah. you know, as we were saying, the uh, ERA, pitcher ERA, or, or uh, mm-hmm. batting average, or RBA, those aren't yeah. bad stats. No. They just tell an incomplete story is, is the yeah. only thing. And so if you're more familiar with the language of RBIs and pitcher wins, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. you want to include that information, too. Because if we did a whole article on Justin Verlander and focused on nothing but his, you know, XF war and, yeah. you know, FIP, and said nothing about his ERA or his wins or, you know, what have you, some people would, would not relate to that and not understand what are you talking about, what does this mean, yeah, exactly. you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's, it's nice to have the whole, the whole perspective. Yeah, and that's why Neil said to get deeper into this, you need to read more than just Bless You Boys. And his, his, his blog is a great place to start, and also follow him on Twitter where you can find all the links to a lot of the places we've uh, talked about. And I'll have links to these in the show notes as well. So. Um, it, it's it's and even you know, for me, I, I just got started. I started reading Bill James uh, almanacs back in the '80s, and that was really my kind of dipping the toe into these kind of uh, waters. And talk about blowing a kid, someone's mind! You know, mm, yeah. I grew up as a fan in the '70s, where there was home runs, RBIs, and average were the be all end all. And to start reading those almanacs that he was putting out in the '80s. And it was like, holy crap, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. No, that, I mean, that continued on. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up, you know, in the 80s is where I cut my teeth, and it was the same thing. Yeah. You know, I didn't really find out about the advanced stuff until Moneyball came out. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm ashamed to say it, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, but until Moneyball came out, I didn't even really know about on base percentage. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's really the most basic sabermetric stat when you think about it. It's is one of them, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's not as deep, you know, as some mm-hmm. of the other ones, but that's, you know, uh, it's just because the information was not available for so long. Yeah. You know, the, the first time you get exposed to it, it's like, yeah, it, it blew my mind. and thought, yeah, that makes so much sense. Okay, yeah. you know, so that's that, that's a bad, it's a gateway drug on base percentage. Yeah. <laughs> as I say, the very least. So uh, thanks again to Neil for being a, a gateway drug to advance metrics, to say the very least. All right, so, looks like... Yeah, we, oh, have a, sorry, we, have a, we have a huge challenge in front of us now. Yeah, try to crank all this uh, information <laughs> out. Because I had a feeling we were going to go over with Neil. It, it was a lot of fun and very yes. informative, to say the very least. And yeah. uh, and it was interesting that, that uh, I think he agrees about it. Well, we agree with him on his take on Brad Ausmus. And we'll get into a little bit of that as we go on. So, uh, so we've we got about to talk eight more about. topics to cram into 10 minutes. So Yeah, no go. kidding. All right. Well, 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 maybe 15 or 20. Uh, we'll figure it <laughs> okay. out. Okay. All right. What happens with the offense? I guess that's really been the... Hot, uh, the hot take, so to speak, of the past few games. Uh, Brad Osmus called Wednesday night's effort the worst of the season. Uh, that I believe the Tigers lost 5-1. to one. Uh, But the Tigers topped that bad effort in losing one nothing on Thursday. Uh, Tigers just scored six runs during the four-game series in New York and only two runs in the three losses they had. Uh, this is one of those things uh, where uh, it's very frustrating for fans. It's frustrating for us. But I really have the feeling that this is just one of these things. It, this too shall pass. And we really can't ask for any sort of knee-jerk reaction because, of one, I don't think there's any real way to fix what ails the Tigers' offense at this point. And, two, uh, that, you know, knowing baseball, because this kind of relates to what Neil was saying, luck and randomness really seems to play a big part in the game. And for all we know, the Tigers could come out and just club the hell out of the ball in Toronto this weekend. And, and from your mouth to God's ears, as I've said yeah. before. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're looking at here is potentially maybe a cumulative effect. 
Yeah. Um, and I know that kind of gets into our, our, our next topic about, you know, Austin Jackson and how much that hurt the offense. And it, it's kind of a bizarre thing to say because I mean, we all know Austin Jackson was very, very streaky, yeah. you know, throughout his time in Detroit. But he was on a hot streak when they let him go. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part of the this current, you know, moment in time offense that's now missing. Uh, Suarez being pulled out of it, Hunter being pulled out of it. You, none of those players taken individually is is a Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, but it's kind of the reverse of what Billy Bean talked about in in terms of creating a player in the aggregate. You're deconstructing a player in the aggregate in a sense by taking those those bats out of the lineup, and it just it seems to have created kind of the, the perfect storm for the last couple you know well the four game series at least. Yeah. I mean they, they were they were hitting hard in in uh, against uh, the Rockies, but you know I, I know there have been uh, offensive problems since the since the All Star break. So I think yeah. We're seeing some of that. Yeah, to say the least. And and for people saying well, this needs to be fixed, well, I think the Tigers would have addressed this at the trade deadline if there was really someone available they thought could do so. And as we saw at the trade deadline, I know we talked about this over the last couple of podcasts. Right, right. Pitching changed hands. Very little offense. I don't think people re, uh, teams realize offense is at a premium right now. We're in another one of those pitching rules. Uh, the game right now, you know, this, you know, baseball is, you know, really streaky that way. We'll have eras of lots and lots of hitting, and then we'll have eras where pitching dominates. And I think we're in one of those pitching dominates eras. So, you know, no teams were loath to give up offense. I, you know, so I really don't see how, you know, it, other than addressing it somehow last off season, right now there's really not much the Tigers are going to be able to do. I mean, no, trust me, there's no, no one in the minors that's going to help them. There really isn't. No, and that's, that's always risky anyway. You know? Exactly. As we're seeing with Ezekiel Carrera coming up from Toledo, mm-hmm. hitting over 300 for Toledo, and, I mean, not tearing the cover off the ball in his first couple of starts. I, mean, yeah. I know he hasn't gotten a whole lot of you know opportunity yet, but mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll, we'll wait to render judgment on that particular situation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there, there weren't, like, a ton of offensive options there. Yeah, Stephen Drew, Chase Headley, you know, those are about the only offensive names that kind of changed hands. And, yes, Headley did some damage against the Tigers, but, one, the Tigers really didn't have a place for him anyway. And, you know, and Stephen Drew sucks. So, but, you know, but you know, that's the thing is that the team the Tigers have is what they have. And if they're able to add someone between now and before uh, September 1st, uh, I, you know, it's it's going to be one of those things where someone somehow sneaks through waivers and the Tigers may have to take on an onerous contract, and uh, and we'll kind yeah, of get into that. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, let's talk about Austin Jackson. This seems to have play, be playing a part in this. Do uh, you think the trade of Jackson, who had an awesome July, I mean, he really turned his offensive numbers around after really <laughs> being awful for about six to eight weeks. And he really seen, uh, and it's always seen when Jackson was in the Tigers lineup, as he went, so did the Tigers offense. And now that he's gone, there's really been no one on base for Miguel Cabrera or Victor Martinez. Unfortunately, yeah, and yeah. it's a, it's a thing that I kind of predicted back in uh, June. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with that post that I wrote about why you know why Austin Jackson's going to absolutely just rake in 2014, yeah. and looking at some of those advanced metrics and looking at his fly ball percentage and ground ball percentage and line drive rate and contact rate and saying these are all trending in the absolute right direction. He's having a career year in these peripheral numbers. 
uh, he's running into some bad luck. The BABIP is really low. He's going to be, you know, a breakout player. And he was absolutely doing that. Mm-hmm. He was hitting that breakout stride when he was traded. So, yeah. like I said, at least for the time being, um, you know, he was a part of that, uh, you know, the, the offensive line of the component that was making things happen, and he's now missing. Yep. So overall, yeah, you could look at it and say not going to be a big deal in October because, you know, you recall what happened last year mm-hmm. <laughs> with Jackson mm-hmm. in in October. Uh, but, you know, just the day-to-day getting there to the playoffs, yes, that we're, we're going to feel that for a while. Yeah, and this is something the Tigers will have to adjust to. You know, that's a huge adjustment for your lineup to lose your leadoff man and starting center fielder. And yes. that's a lot of defense and offense to replace. And uh, at best right now, the Tigers are just going to be able to do it patchwork, essentially, with Davis and Carrera. And that's realistically it's a downgrade, no matter what you say. You just have to hope that, well, at the way things are looking, the starting pitching is going to have to throw no hitters every night. But, uh, <laughs> but at the but very that's... least, the starting pitching has been awesome since they did the old Jackson. Exactly, and that's, that, that's the point, is that, you know, the only reason I think why we're really noticing the offense, you know, drop-off is because the starting pitching has been so amazing, Yes. which is what we wanted. You know, I think mm-hmm. pitching beat, you know, beats hitting nine times out of ten, and these last couple of games, you know, it's been one run, two runs, maybe as many as three runs given up by the starters, and, you know, in, in the everyday you know, ebb and flow of baseball season, that's going to be enough to win a lot of games. And because they're not winning the games, you say, why not? Well, it, it it's not the pitching. The pitching's been awesome, so it, it has to be the offense right now. Yeah, and what's uh, funny is that uh, uh, Neil just posted on Twitter saying he expects, uh, he said he had a lot of fun on the podcast with us, but he expects us to post this podcast when the Tigers score another run. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Tuesday. Yeah, All right. exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, well, and another reason why, that's really kind of why the Tigers struggle with offense, obviously, is Miguel Cabrera. Uh, yeah, and if you yeah. listen to any sports talk radio at all, the, the latest hot takes from hosts and listeners is they're starting to call out Cabrera. You know, like uh, uh, someone I consider an online friend of mine, Jamie Samuelson. I've had him on my other podcast for Facebook friends, and he's on 97.1 The Ticket, whom I often criticize, but I do enjoy his and Bob Ojanowski's show. It's one of the few... Islands of Sanity, I think, uh, in the uh, uh, on that station. Well, I, I won't go into it. You, you've heard me cuss them out before, anyway. But <laughs> yes, you know, the, the, there's been a, there's been a little bit of the well. He's having a great season, and he's still very very good. But he's not playing very well right now, and uh, and I'm kind of conflicted on this. You know, when he got radio station uh, host, I actually respect. Criticizing Cabrera, I'm kind of mixed on this because if you look at his overall numbers, he's having a very good year. You know, he's an <laughs> all-star season. He's uh, essentially, the thing is, though, if you look at the numbers, he's been front fielder, not Miguel Cabrera. Right. And I think that's the, you know, over the past six years, he's been unconscious. But the only, uh, only month this year where he had a Cabrera-like month I believe was in May where he hit 380 with, uh, with a 704 slugging percentage. This month, uh, small sample size, you know, hits, of course, he's only hitting 278, but his, his on base percentage is great because they're pitching around him. He's, it's at 440, but he's only slugging 444. 
So his OPS has hovering in the high 800s, which for anybody not named Cabrera, you're saying he's having a great year. Right, but that's Miguel the point. Cabrera, yeah, if you're Miguel Cabrera, you're saying, what's the matter? And it's right. it really goes to show that the Tigers need Cabrera to not be Prince Fielder. They need Cabrera to be Miguel Cabrera. But I, the way things are going, I really don't think we're going to see that player much because he was not able to spend his off season how we normally did because he was injured. Right, and, and that's that's the edge of his argument. I think that mm-hmm. that people forget. You know, when you point out the bad stats. Yeah. With Cabrera, people want to automatically go to, yeah, but, you know, that that's uh, Cabrera's off year is any normal player's good year. Yeah. And I kind of want to flip that script, you know, and say, mm-hmm. right, fine. If you have six players on the team that are having, you know, good years off Cabrera years, then you're okay. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we don't. We have Miguel Cabrera because we need him to be Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. And so yeah. when he's not... You know, it's an absolutely valid argument to say he's not hitting like Miguel Cabrera. He might be hitting better than an Ian Kinsler. Yeah. But we already have an Ian Kinsler. We need Miguel Cabrera to be Miguel Cabrera and hit, you know, the home runs and, and have that OPS way up in the, you know, a thousand, you know, plus. Yeah. It's not happening, and uh, the, the team is suffering for it. So uh, there's there's nothing wrong with saying that. We're not saying he's done. You know, mm-hmm. he's in yeah. decline. That's it. You know, shouldn't have signed him for that long of a contract. No, he's he's having an off year. Yeah, it happens, and, and it's just uh, it's just it's exacerbated by some of the other issues this team is having on offense. But yes, the criticism is deserved. I just feel it has to be there has to be the counterpoint of saying this is the guy who had major surgery and was not able to prepare for this season the way he has over both the rest of his career. I think that's really showing right now, but. You're right. Uh, uh, well, let me ask you about this, because this has been a bone of contention on the site in the game yesterday uh, where Miguel Cabrera pinch hit for J.D. Martinez. Uh, was it uh, top of the ninth, two on, nobody right, out? Right, So did Brad Osmus make the right decision in bringing Miguel Cabrera off the bench to, in place of J.D. Martinez, who is talking about a guy who's struggling? He's in a massive regression, regression right now, one for 15, I think, in the series. Uh, do you let Martinez bat and then have Cabrera pinch it for Don Kelly, or did Brad Osmus make the right decision in pinch hitting Cabrera for Martinez, and then, well, we know what happened. Cabrera didn't get a hit. He hit into a double play, and Don Kelly had the bat. Yeah, that, and that's circumstantial. I mean, yep. the way it played out to have you know Don Kelly being your last hope of two outs, mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't the intent. Right. And and so forget about the results. Think about the process. You've got the tying run at second base. Mm-hmm. You had nobody out. All things being equal, who do you want at bat? Yeah, and the in best hitter of his generation. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, not just the best hitter on the team. Yes. I mean, one of the best hitters in baseball right now. Absolutely, you want that guy in that spot. Absolutely, the right move to make. It, it just didn't mm-hmm. pan out. Yeah, if you want to complain about the Tigers having a thin bench, well, that's another whole discussion altogether. Well, sure, but I yeah. mean, I, I, I get irritated with people like, and now yeah. you got Don Kelly with two outs, you know, to it all rests on Don Kelly. Right, but mm-hmm. that's the end result. Yeah. If Cabrera had gotten the hit and mm-hmm. scored the tying run, nobody's even talking about Don Kelly being the last hope because there's not two outs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and there are there is a contingent saying, well, why didn't uh, – Osmus bunt, either have Martinez do it or bring a guy off the bench to bunt 
Well, that, that means, okay, say he does it successfully, then Miguel, then Miguel Cabrera pinch hits for Kelly, and then, so what they do, they walk Miguel Cabrera, takes the bat right out of his hands. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah, this is one of those cases where when it doesn't work, all you, uh, he's going to get double, he's going to get second and triple guessed. If it does work, he's a genius. And even though, he, no, matter if, no matter if it was the right call or not, because it didn't work, it means he's an idiot, which is not true, but that's the reaction people are giving right now. Right. But, you know, like I said, all things being equal, that is absolutely the highest percentage play yeah. that you could make in that situation. And, and in some ways, we don't give Osmus credit for making that play because yeah. it didn't work out. But looking back on it, you see the, the, the uh, push-button manager-style move yeah. right there is put Cabrera in for Kelly. Mm-hmm. Let Martinez take the at bat because you know positionally you can swap out Kelly for Cabrera for his base if it goes into extras you know whatever, and so in that case I think uh, Osmus did make the kind of out of the box move. Yeah, and because you know what, because after the game he just could have said, yeah, I went with JD Martinez because I thought he could run into one. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> right, you know that. that's what a manager would say, but he you know he did he decided well the odds of him running into one are much greater if that guy is Miguel Cabrera. So, and, and really so, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, okay, speaking of criticism, uh, Alex Avila. Uh, and you wrote an interesting post cause there, uh, with, the, with the, um, the graphic to go with it that showed Alex Avila is, for the most part, an average offensive player in the American League at a position where defense and the handling of a pitching staff is the first priority, uh, yet people are acting as if, Alex Avila is the next coming of the Ebola virus in baseball. <laughs> in that right. his, you know, the criticism of his bat, I think, has gotten to the point where it's over the top. Yeah, he had an awful July, and and that's key. Yeah, yeah but you, and you can make the argument that yeah, Brad Ausmus probably should have sat him a little more against left-handed pitching because uh, he's struggling mightily. And I mean, it's obvious. You know, this look at the strikeout rate, but there's more to catching. Actually, you say the vast majority of the catching job. Is not to provide offense. I mean, that's a plus if you got a catcher who can do that. And I, I feel like, as you know, I hate to use the term, can run into one. But he does get on base because he walks. But his defense is a plus, and his handling of pitchers is a plus. And there's some positions where it's worthwhile to maybe sacrifice a little bit of offense. And it, it also runs into the argument, hook slide, that people think you got to have an all-star at every position. No, you just have to have a decent player at certain positions and have guys like Miguel Cabrera be superstars. Unfortunately, right. I just think that the criticism is just so overblown, it's, it's becoming annoying. It's, well, it's always been annoying. <laughs> you know, yeah. People want to reach for the nepotism argument you know, right mm. off the bat, and you say that that's ridiculous. Um, yeah. But of all places, Al, of all places, mm-hmm. there was a fountain of wisdom to be heard on WXYT. I'm stunned. It's it's amazing. The last three days, they have been doing nothing but promoting Avila. Yeah. And taking on challenging callers who want to say anything different. But I thought there was one caller in particular who, mm-hmm. who, who made a point that I thought, wow, that's that's really insightful. And he said that because uh, long longtime Tiger fans are used to having big thumpers behind the plate, yeah. like Bill Freehand. Yeah, or Lance, Lance Parrish. Yeah. Um, even Lee Matt. Settleton. Matt yeah, Noakes. guys are hit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Remember Matt Noakes coming in and hitting 30, yeah, so 30, 30 home runs, runs in the rookie. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of what the Tiger fan base has, in a sense, become used to. Mm. Uh, Rodriguez, you mentioned, you know, Pudge coming in. Um, yeah. So to deal with a guy like Avila, who is above average defensively, pitch framing, all of that, um, and certainly average 
offensively, if not above average, in certain categories. Right. Uh, but, but he's not, you know, tearing the cover off the ball. He's not leading the league in home runs or, you know, RBIs or any mm-hmm. of those other basic baseball stats that we just, you know, disparaged for half an hour. Um, I, I think the expectation has already been set, though. He's not Lance Parrish, you know, or he's right. not Pudge Rodriguez. So, you know, get him off the team, the bum. You know. Yeah, and again, yeah, and replace him with who? Yeah, and, and well, that's, that's what everybody always forgets. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, you know the guy in AAA or the guy in AA uh, is is much like the backup quarterback for the Lions or the backup goalie for the uh, Red Wings is that that that's the savior if they would only well, put right. him in. Because and we can hear that uh, with Brian Holiday. Because what is unknown is always better than what is known, yes, according exactly. to some people. But I, you know, I go with the theory that uh, the devil you know, you know yeah. is better than the one you don't know. Yeah. So no, I don't want to take a flyer, you know, on on James McCann and find exactly. out that he absolutely sucks defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't know what you've got until you lose it. Was that a and, was that a John Lennon song? Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <go on. laughs> oh yeah, I was just going to say, and we we see the same with Brian Holiday, and that I, the defense, I think. Goes south a little bit when he's in the game instead of Avila, uh, yes. And, and and his bat is is not any better. You know, he had earlier in the season he, he was getting on base. I think well there was some you know fluky bunts and things like that. But Holiday is not on his team for his bat. If he was, he would start. He'd be playing a lot more than he is. You know, so right, right. You know, it, it's it's yeah, you know, you're right. It's it's frustrating because you know Avila is what he is at this point. And unfortunately, for a segment of this fan base, he's become the next Ryan Rayburn or Brandon Inge, you know, a role player who I guess fans think should be a star because he's had he had one outlier of a season, and now they think that should be the standard, not every other season the guy's ever had. Right, and like I said, I mean, not not to disparage the fans that are yeah. you know frustrated with him, yeah, uh, because we are too. No, I, absolutely. July. Yeah. When you see July. I mean, do we talk about how hard it is to even watch one game where he strikes out three times? Yeah. And based on one game alone, you can be like, oh, this is really, really hard to deal with. He went through all of July. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. 20-some-plus games, you know, where where he batted under 170, where even his on-base percentage, which is his kind of calling card, right. um, his on-base percentage was under 300. I think yeah. it was 270-something, 280-something. So, yeah, you go through a whole month of that, I can totally understand why a lot of the fans are saying, forget this. Yeah. You know, the one the one guy on Twitter that said he's punching his ticket right out of Detroit right now. <laughs> Maybe he is. I don't know. But overall, you got to look at the, the long term and not just that month of July, as yeah. hard as that is. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 it, and it, it can be frustrating. And it does come out, you know, and bless you boys, and our writing sometimes, it, it does get uh, very frustrating, but... We tend to forget, you know, in baseball, there's more to the game than just offense. You know, you you gotta stop the other team from scoring, and that's a big part of Alex Avila's game. So, I just hope he starts to just, you know, gets that on base percentage back to about 350 where it was for most of the first half of the year. I will be happy, you know. And, right. and he said that July just destroyed his on base percentage because it was very, very. It was like third or fourth in the team before that slump. Hit, right. So. Right. All right. Speaking of, well, we, we do need to touch on the David Price, uh, who had uh, a very, uh, I guess you could, best way to put it was he had a David Price-style start. Pitched deep into the game, kept the pitch count under control, gave up a, a couple of solo home runs, uh, and kept, and if the Tigers had gotten any offense at all, he would have gotten, you know, you know, God forbid, the W. 
But regardless of that, I, it was a very impressive first start. And it really seems to kind of rubbed off on the entire Tigers rotation. I hate using that term that they're trying to one-up each other. But, man, the, 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 since prices arrived, it's like, I don't want to be the odd guy out in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the reverse. Yeah. Yeah. It could be the exact opposite psychology there where you yeah. feel like, okay, we've got a guy here who's really, really good. Pressure's off of me. Yeah, I don't have yeah, to be the point. team leader here. Yeah. You know, I don't have to be the next front-run Cy Young winner. I can just yeah. be Justin Verlander. I can just be Max Scherzer. And so maybe that yeah. pressure coming off of them has actually kind of freed them to be who they are. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, at the and if you know, it was a marvelous start. Lots of strikeouts. Uh, and what I really like about uh, Price is that he didn't nibble, and no, that can become no. so frustrating when you watch Scherzer and Verlander. Sometimes you just say. Just go at them. You got the stuff to get these guys out. You know, you get you got them one and two. Don't throw two waste pitches because Price has always said that goes. I want to get a batter out in three pitches, and I right. love that philosophy he has. And it certainly showed up in his pitch count. Yeah, I was I was shocked the entire game from mm-hmm. the sixth inning I think on to the ninth. I, my yeah. my jaw was getting closer and closer to the floor as I'm watching him go deeper into that game and watching that pitch count and saying he's still not even at 100 pitches. Yes. What is going on? I mean, that was that was the revelation for me. Mm, yeah. It's, uh, and I, if he can continue to perform like that for the remainder of, the, uh, remainder of his contract, I guess I'm going to put it that way, but at least this season especially, the Tigers will be in fine shape. And I'm not going to be too worried about the Royals creeping closer as they, uh, you know, with the Tigers, they're they're rolling in one of those hot streaks again, and the Tigers oh, so are not, slumping. You're not scared? Uh, I don't think so. Not yet. But you know, Al, there's still a two and a half game lead. But Al, and yeah, it's only two and a half games. Oh jeez, yeah, and the Tigers only won the division by one game last year. Yeah, the, the Royals could be in first place by Sunday. Oh yeah, but uh, they could also, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, and that's the frustrating part is that you know I don't think the Royals are good enough. I really don't. You know, I, the Tigers are better than this, and I don't think the Royals are as good as they've been playing as of late. I mean, the Royals didn't do a damn thing to improve that team at the at the trade deadline, while the Tigers added one of the best pitchers in baseball. Over the last six, eight weeks, that's going to ultimately pay off for the Tigers. It just hasn't just yet. But I just don't – I'm not worried about the Royals because I don't think they're any better than a 500 team. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I mean, you know, they took first place earlier this year, and that lasted oh, yeah. for all of forty-eight hours. Yeah, and that what was the joke that uh, someone put out there? Said, "Yeah, yes. when will they relate? When will they release the commemorative DVD of their forty-eight hours <laughs> in first place?" That's right. yeah. But if you remember how that story ends, yeah, I think it was a week later. The Tigers mm-hmm. were back within one of their largest leads in first yep. place. Uh, after a week of play, they were five or six games back. You know, exactly. back in the lead, I should say. You know, so, I mean, come on. Even if the Royals do, by some fancy voodoo, mm-hmm. you know, overtake them over the weekend, so what? Yeah. It's yeah, so it's, early in August yet, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and just and just look at the two pitching staffs, and it's like, you know, you know take the bullpens out of the equation. Yeah. Just no, look, I, at those starting, look at those starting pitching staffs, and you go, there's the Tigers are going to win this division. Yes. They, just, they are. And they I, I are. posted the uh, infographic on Twitter yesterday mm-hmm. showing how the Tigers outranked the Royals, not only in most of the offense categories, but the pitching categories yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So if you have any faith at all that the best team wins over the long haul, yeah, there's no reason to worry at all. Yeah, it, it, it would take an epic collapse, and I, it, with that pitching staff, they've already had their epic collapse, and that was back in May. 
I don't see them doing that again. No, so, no, and the offense will bounce back faster yeah. than the pitching staff did. I, I agree with that as well. All right, let's a uh, couple other quick topics, quick takes, so to speak. Jim Johnson, uh, what's your thoughts on the Tigers taking the flyer on the former All-Star closer, who uh, he uh, was uh, he had 101 saves over the previous two seasons, even though his 2013 was kind of shaky. Uh, he was given a $10 million contract by the A's, posted an ERA over seven, and was waived. Tigers picked him up and decided to pick him up over Matt Thornton, who was having a better year and is a left-hander and might have filled a bigger need. So what's your thoughts on the pickup of Jim Johnson? Why not? Yeah. Um, That's what I was like. Yeah, it doesn't cost them anything other than a little cash. Right. A little bit of cash spent on this. Uh, you know, I think generally speaking with reliever, you, you know, you, you're okay if you pick the guy that has the track record. Yeah. And like you said, over the last couple of years, he's established something of a track record at least. Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe he's lost it for good. Maybe it's a fluky season. Um, that being the case, you know, I, I was on the local radio show the other day and said the same thing. If, if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. Right. If it does work out, whoa. Yeah. If he ends up rediscovering some of his ability you know, for the Tigers, then then you've got yet one more solid piece to add to the bullpen. Exactly. So what what's wrong with the signing? Nothing at all. Yeah, because right now seven. If no, it, when you when you see that seven through nine worked the way it's supposed to, with Soria, Chamberlain, and Nathan, it 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 was beautiful to see. It would be you know if Johnson could come along and become a part of that piece, that would be awesome. You know if it, right. I'm not counting on it, but. You're right. It's it's like why the hell not? Well, you know, to to address some of the fears of the fan base, because mm-hmm. I heard this repeatedly said, um, people were saying, "Don't worry about it. He's only playing Toledo right now." Yeah. And others said, "Yeah, that's exactly what they said about Valverde, is mm-hmm. that he was just being signed in Toledo at the beginning of 2013, and then you know, lo and behold, he's suddenly the closer." But that's not going to happen with Jim Johnson yeah. because they already have a closer in place. So I'm not worried that suddenly. Next month, you know, they're going to bring him up and say you're the ninth inning guy now. Exactly. So it's, it's and that ninth inning guy is actually pitching pretty well right now. Well, let's not jinx that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll be, we'll get called out for that voodoo stuff. Yeah, that's right. Continue to talk about <laughs> it. All right, uh, let's touch on one more thing. Dave Dombrowski uh, is out of the running for MLB commissioner. Uh, it, it really feels like a gong show because now there's just like they're, they're down to three candidates and they're going to vote on the three and one of them gets to wear the crown. But regardless of that, I am happy that Dombrowski is going to remain president, CEO, and general manager of the Tigers. Uh, and I really think his talents would be wasted as a commissioner. Yeah. I, yeah, You don't want to lose him as the GM. There, there's no mm-hmm. – I mean, for the last several years, he's been, I think, if not the best, at least second best right. general manager in baseball. Billy Bean might give him a run for his money. You know, but uh, definitely those guys at the top too. So you would just, uh, you know, I would start to worry a little bit if he, you know, was no longer operating in that capacity for the Tigers. So after this, it's like, who cares if he becomes the the commissioner? It's like, at least it's not Dave. You know? Yeah, yeah, because re- when you think about it, the commissioner is essentially a puppet of the owners anyway. You know, r- real power did Bud Selig have? You know, other than making some stupid rules like the All-Star game crap. But regardless of that, I'm just glad. Yeah, too much power for that much, yeah, uh, that little point, yeah. amount of intelligence. So. Yeah, and uh, I believe the the, sh- the shoe win is likely going to be, what I believe his name is Tom Warner, who has been uh, the right-hand man of uh, 
of Bud Selig over the past few years, a former TV executive of all things. But regardless of all that, at least Dave Dombrowski is going to remain with the Tigers for the foreseeable future, or probably as long as uh, the Illich family wants to continue paying Dave Dombrowski a lot of money to run their franchise. All right, Hook Slide, anything you want to add before we wrap it up? You know, I can't think of a single thing. Yeah. We have, we have covered so much ground here, so... Yeah, no kidding. And the last half hour has gone by like right. uh, like a lightning round, right. to say the very least. I'm just going to throw out there the TV ratings things that we had a post on this on this this past week, and it just goes to show just one, baseball is not dead in any big league city, and two, we love our Tigers because the Tigers have the highest local TV ratings in the nation, and and they're eight point three, I think it's eight point three eight household rating is almost a point higher than any other team in baseball. You know, the Cardinals are in second place. So uh, I guess this yep. goes to show we love Rod and Mario. <laughs> no, you know, and somebody made a great point. I don't recall if it was yeah. in the comments of our thread that you posted or if it was another article that I read online, but somebody made a great point in saying that uh, when you get the, uh, the doomsayers, you know, saying that baseball ratings are down overall and NFL is, you know, so much more important, you know, yeah. they're only looking at the national ratings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but when, you know when Fox Sports and uh, ESPN when they continue to play, you know, for their game of the week or whatever, they're putting out the Red Sox and Yankees, and who gives yep. a crap about that? Yeah, mm-hmm. two teams that are not even in contention. You know, for, of course the ratings are dropping. Who cares? Yeah, but yeah. when you look at the local markets, mm-hmm. no, they're as strong as ever. Yeah, exactly. Baseball is a very local, localized. When it comes to broadcasting, it's a very localized thing. It's all about the local broadcast teams, about the local TV outlet and radio outlet, and yeah, and no, and I'm I'm the same way. I like I really don't care for the national broadcast. I really prefer listening to uh, Dan and Jim and Rod and Mario. It's, Every you know, week. I think I think most baseball fans feel the same way about their own team. They want to hear. Their uh, their own broadcasters take on a 162 game season. Absolutely, but I, yeah. I mean, just I think the national outlets are being very very stupid. In yeah. that, you know, we saw that, that that post that we had up, that I put up, you know, earlier this week mm-hmm. about the uh, the hate map. Yeah, the MLB teams that the nation hates mm-hmm. the most, the Red Sox and the Yankees, are like lead that list. Yeah, yeah and yet exactly. every week they continue to show Red Sox and Yankees, or a variation, you know, if it's Yankees versus Blue Jays or whatever, you know, they're yeah. always showing one of those two teams. Yeah. Like, yeah. ESPN, wake up. Come on. Yep. I think that's, and I think that's a good place to close out the podcast. Uh, ESPN needs to wake up. And, yeah, I'll probably go on more about that on my other podcast, The Knee Jerks. I do with uh, Bless You Boys contributor Greg Eno every week, where we rant on more things than just baseball. Uh, of course, uh, where can they find you on the online hook slide? Uh, on Twitter, at hookslidebyb. And uh, I have a Gmail account now, uh, hookslidebyb at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find me at Big Al BYB. And as you can, of course, find both of us, along with uh, Kurt, for example, uh, Melissa, uh, and Rob, uh, running the Bless You Boys account at Bless You hey, Boys. Hey, speaking of Kurt, yeah. let's just let the listeners know. I mean, for the next yeah. couple of weeks, we've got we've got quite the lineup here. Kurt yeah. is coming yeah, back. You've got, yeah, yeah, and for, let me throw this out there. Hook size on a lot of work. Uh, we, I've kind of given him the reins when it comes to uh, wrangling guests because, you know, that way we don't get wires crossed. And he's put together quite a list. That's right. We've got uh, Kurt will be on the show next week because I will be yeah, out of town. Yeah, he is a guest. We're just calling him a guest. Kurt will be our featured so. guest. Yeah. I won't be here, but uh, you guys will, will do well without me. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Chris Iatt coming up uh, from MLive the week after that. And then we'll have uh, Jason Beck coming the week after that. 
Yeah. And, and then and then we have some other irons in the in the. In the I am uh, in negotiations right now to get Dan Dickerson and Mario and Pemba. So yes. we should have some fun in the next uh, couple months. Indeed. So uh, I d- uh, also means we should Michigan. warn our listeners that I think our podcast is going to run a little bit longer because we tell our guests, oh, yeah, we're going to do about 20, 25 minutes. And as you saw with Neil, we ended up doing about 40. So, <laughs> but we'll do our best to kind of, this is a work in progress for us too, adding guests to the show. But a lot of you guys asked, you wanted more voices on the show? We're giving you more voices. So. All right. Uh, so again, be on the lookout for, on Twitter, Michigan, Facebook, and the site itself for more news on upcoming guests. So. All right, hook slide. Uh, I guess time to wrap the show because it's actually getting late in the afternoon. Yes. Un- yeah. So until this time next week, uh, when we uh, when hook slide won't be here, we'll be talking to the mysterious man known as Kurt, King of the UP. Uh, this is Albie saying good afternoon and good luck along with hook slide. Wherefore art thou, Tiger's offense? Hopefully we will not pull poetry on the next Bushy Boys podcast. <laughs> That'll get him out of the old ballpark. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.